Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. It's The Advertising Show being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. You can visit online at adage.com. Advertising Show, a big radio midgets production. Today is no exception. Absolutely not. We have a great couple of hours for you. Seth Stevenson will be joining us here momentarily. Seth is a contributing writer at Slate Magazine, uh, where he writes a thing called the Ad Report Card column on advertising, as well as features on travel, sports, pop culture, and more. I'll tell you more about uh, Seth in here in just a few moments away. Also with us this hour, Joe Jaffe is a different perspective, and Joe is encouraging us to make mistakes. Well, it's good to note that we've uh, we've done our share, a fair share of that, right, Brad? Hmm. No, had one or two, uh, at least. Uh, uh, careers in marketing. Uh, Patrick Myers talking about that has an interesting perspective about uh, what it was like back in the '80s and what it's like today for hmm. marketers. And uh, let's see, Jeffrey Gittimer, next hour. He'll be talking about how you set your company benchmarks. In other words, benchmarks can be anything from the way you answer the telephone. Uh, to the way you solve complaints, to the you know little things like that that can either create a success or kill a company. So that's uh, that's next hour. Bruce Abbott, uh, Wacky World of Marketing, New Orleans needs a new ad agency. Oh okay. yeah, okay. I think that's you know goes without saying, but but uh, that's going to be on the Wacky World a little bit later on this hour. We've got uh, the advertising showcase as well, and who else did I miss here? Uh, let's see. Andy Borowitz. Oh, Andy Borowitz. Yeah, FEMA. Yeah. FEMA is back in the news, and this time FEMA is being sent to Iran. And that's all wow. I'm going to say. Hmm. So how you doing? Well, great. And I guess the, uh, what, agency got flooded out, moved? What happened in New Orleans? No, they just need a good PR agency. That's yeah. all. Yeah. Oh, you know, they had the uh, Jazz Fest this past week. I don't know if it's – I think it's a two-week event, but uh, glad to hear it. Uh, right, yeah. The boss was there and some other uh, musicians headlining. And yeah, he's so, a great jazz person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, he has a new CD out. No, and, he does. Uh, right. He wrote some yeah, great it, songs for that as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. So, anyway, so much for uh, music here on the advertising show. Ray, you know, this is no secret. Uh, in the never-ending search to find new ways to advertise and get people's attention, uh, turning to the human body is nothing new. Foreheads, chest, uh, they, they've all been advertised on. But now we Back come up sides, with one. Yeah. Pregnant belly. Pregnant oh, belly. Globat, Globat.com won the rights to emblazon its logo on a Missouri woman's pregnant belly as uh, well as sponsor her baby's live birth. Not sure yeah, I'd want to do that. But uh, depending on what Globat.com does. But uh Asia Francis, 21, auctioned her uh, ad rights for her pregnancy on eBay last uh, last month. And uh, the winning bid, uh, this is kind of funny, the winning bid of $1,000 was uh, won by uh, Globlat.com. A $1,000, bucks. that did not seem like a lot of money, right? Mm, no, not really. Not if you were to deal. see this ad... Uh, Globat, oh, Globat, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one. No, I don't know what the CPM is, but I guess it depends on how often she lifts her shirt. But uh, Globat.com, web hosting made easy, introduces DefyingGravity.com, which is the ad I'm, I'm seeing. I'm reading off of this belly. Right. But uh, I don't know. Would the afterbirth be considered a bonus spot 
in this case? Quite possibly. I think they'd go to a commercial at that point, Brad. And, and the umbilical cord would be considered what? A tie-in? <laughs> a promotional tie-in? I that's don't right. know. Enough of that. That's 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 a great idea, though. I have a problem with that. Yeah, but who? But who's going to see it? It's all. It's right there on her belly. And I don't know about you, but you know, if you were to even see a pregnant belly, which would be on the beach and some lady there, sure. Uh, I don't know if it's going to get that much exposure. Exposure. See, here. I think it will. I think it's great. Yeah. You know, that, that's like the uh, the geeks on call or the geek squad or everything. Now. Yeah, they're out yeah. there. You know, the geek squad. That was yeah. started with I think eight hundred bucks. A couple of guys decided to do that and sold for, ooh, want to say several million. Uh, really? And now you see those cars out there as well. So I like I like the uh, I like the active uh, stuff there. It's kind of cool. It's a good idea. Yes. So the pregnant bellies. It's okay with me too. Let's uh, let's uh, bring on uh, Seth Stevenson here in just a few minutes uh, on the advertising show. But right now, boys and girls, it's uh, Joe Jaffe. He's got this funny accent, Brad. Have you heard it? Yeah, let's listen. If you dare to risk seeing the world from a new point of view, join us now for a different perspective. Featuring author and new marketing consultant, Joseph Jaffe. I'm going to make a statement, and then I'm going to go ahead and completely contradict myself. I'm going to say to you that not only is it okay to make mistakes, that you should foster the kind of culture and the kind of uh, environment in your workplace where making mistakes and taking risks and experimenting is not only encouraged, it's actually embraced. But then again, I'm going to warn you not to make the wrong kind of mistakes. Well, what exactly is the wrong kind of mistakes? Well, I guess this is the way that I would differentiate them. Mistakes that you can learn from, mistakes that make you smarter the second time around, mistakes that give you a competitive advantage are certainly the right kind of mistakes. They're the kind of mistakes where nothing risked, nothing gained. Those are the mistakes where maybe the uh, short-term or the immediate upside might not be that apparent, but ultimately the learnings and the insights that emerge are invaluable. The wrong kind of mistakes are the ones that you end up spending too much time cleaning up, the kinds of mistakes that come back to bite you where it hurts, the kind of mistakes that really sour senior management and clients to go back into the waters, especially when they're uh, dipping their toes in and a little bit nervous or reticent of moving forward. What is the wrong kind of mistake? Well, the Chevy Tahoe uh, consumer-generated content, or as they would have referred to it, and as I referred to it last week as consumer-generated media example, is the wrong kind of mistake. And I'll come back to that next week, explaining to you why. This has been A Different Perspective, featuring Joseph Jaffe, president of new marketing consulting practice Jaffe LLC, and author of Life After the 30-Second Spot. Well, there's Joe, and I, I think I've nailed it. I think it's Peoria uh, that he's from, actually. Yeah, well, it's East Peoria. You can tell that. You know, I'm well, glad I'm not the guy tonight. that does. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the guy that does the uh, vignettes because my vignette would be two seconds long. It, first, you would you'd say, "What is the wrong kind of mistake?" There's only one <laughs> kind of wrong mistake, Ray. Yeah. It's the one you don't learn from, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, or, you, I mean, or you or you make it uh, twice or thrice. Or yeah, that that would be a wrong mistake. That's too, that's yes. one. Uh, Disney, uh, you know, we're talking about the the ads on bellies. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity there, considering most of America is overweight. Uh, Los Angeles, Reuters, uh, Walt Disney uh, will try a new type of advertising when it begins showing primetime ABC television shows on the web. They're using a single interactive ad during each break rather than the flurry of short spots that are the norm on network TV. So uh, 10 major advertisers have delivered new interactive online com- uh, commercials as part of the uh, two-month test, the Disney two-month test of whether consumers 
will watch the ads if they can download hit television shows on ABC.com for free. Isn't hmm. that cool? Yeah. Uh, let's see. The test, uh, which began this past week, is offering streaming video of uh, Desperate Housewives, alias Commander-in-Chief, and Lost about 12 hours after each episode airs on the East Coast, which is where our guest is from. Uh, and we've got Seth Stevenson on the way here. In just a moment, Seth, uh, contributing writer at Slate Magazine, and uh, we'll bring Seth on for not only this hour, but next hour as well on The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Go to theadvertisingshow.com. It's a great site powered by Shipple.com. That's S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com. Ed Shipple has a great uh, machine that uh, helps you market your websites. Uh, check it out at Shipple.com. And we hope you stay with us here on The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings along with Brad Forsyth. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Nobody can call George Whipple an old fuddy-duddy. This new sign is right up with the times. Maybe this will stop the ladies from squeezing charm and bad. This is The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins along with Brad Forsyth. And nobody has ever called Seth Stevenson an old fuddy-duddy. Or maybe they did. That's why he's now in the advertising business, right? A contributing writer at Slate Magazine where he writes uh, the ad report card column on advertising as well as features on travel, Sports, pop culture, and other subjects. We can talk about travel, too, I think, uh, today. Seth was formerly a staff writer at Newsweek. His writing has also appeared in the New York Times Magazine, uh, in Rolling Stone. Uh, how about the thousandth Rolling Stone? New York Magazine and many other publications. And out of Washington, D.C. this weekend. Welcome to the uh, advertising show. Seth, it's great to have you here. Hi, guys. How are you? Wonderful. Doing just great. Did you have to uh, take a drug test before writing for the Rolling Stone? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not exactly a Hunter S. Thompson type, but they didn't uh, require that of me. And, uh, well, good that they didn't require that uh, of you after you wrote for the <laughs> Rolling Stone magazine. Hey, let's talk a little bit about how you got into writing about advertising for Slate magazine, Seth. Sure. Uh, I, uh, I actually don't have a background in advertising. I had r- written a couple of, a uh, few business features for various magazines, including the New York Times magazine. And the, uh, the previous writer of the ad report card column at Slate uh, was a guy named Rob Walker, and he went on to write a column called Consumed at the New York Times Magazine that's about products, and they needed someone to fill in at Slate, and Jacob Weisberg, Slate's editor, uh, came to me, and he'd, he'd seen that I did some business features, and he asked if I'd be interested in tackling the column, and I said, sure. And so since then, that was, just, I guess, about two years ago, and since then, I've been writing about ads for Slate. So anything you're working on right now, uh, Seth, that you can share with our audience, something that uh, we'll be seeing soon on Slate.com? Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm actually writing a story right now about the uh, Volkswagen ad, uh, the Safe Happens campaign, in which oh, yeah. uh, you know, these, these lovely young people are riding in a Jetta, enjoying themselves, and wham, suddenly uh, the airbags are deployed, and, and we're outside the car, and there's glass on the ground. I'm writing about those now. I just actually talked to a VW exec, uh, a little bit earlier, and uh, I'm trying to get the scoop on that and write about that for my readers in Slate soon. What do you think well, Ray, of those spots? Well, I was going to say, Ray, if we want, uh, we want to mention to all of our audience, and more importantly to Seth, that uh, as a little background for your piece, uh, log on to theadvertisingshow.com, check out last week's show, where we featured, as the advertiser showcase, the, the very the commercial. Spots. And I've seen another one, by the way. Of. I now see three of them. I don't know how many of you guys have seen, but I've seen a total of three different ones out there. 
I but Ray know. drinks at night. I don't know. That's not true. No? I don't know how many they uh, they have out there, Seth. Did they? Uh, are, did, did you do background research on that as well? Well, I'm I'm only familiar with two. There's there's the one with the four kids in the in the car talking about having just seen a movie and whether right. or not they cried, and then there's another one with two guys in the car talking about whether they say like too much when they're talking. Right. Those are the two I'm familiar with. There might there, be another, but I, I'm I'm not. Sh- I haven't seen it. Yeah, before. there is another one out there. I've seen it like once. It's like they're folding it in, basically, which is great. Yeah, the uh, the spot with the two guys, uh, like, uh, you know what I mean, like, yeah, mm-hmm. that one. Uh, that's the one we featured last week, and I think that was their break spot. But moving on for a second, you know, you mentioned the ad report card, uh, which is featured at Slate.com. Explain for our audience who may not be familiar with this, the idea behind the ad report card. So the idea, it's, it's not a sort of insider industry column. It's not about who's going where and it's it's written from sort of from my couch, if you will. It's it's from the fans' perspective. You know, there, some sports writers go sit in the press box and go down to the locker room after the game and get quotes from the players. Some sports writers, you know, watch the game on TV. I'm that kind of sports writer or that kind of ad writer. I just watch from the couch with a with a consumer's perspective. I figure everyone's qualified to think about ads because ads are targeted at all of us. Some of them are more targeted at us than others, depending on which demographic group we're in and which product it is. But sure. the ads are meant to appeal to us. The regular American, and so there's no shame in, in just giving your thoughts on whether the ad is effective with you, and that's that's the perspective I try to take. Now, I also, I'll, I'll take it one step further than someone on their couch might. Uh, I'll, I'll call up the company and ask them to give their take on what they were trying to do and then incorporate that into the piece. So I, I do a little bit of legwork, but mostly it's just the, the regular guy's perspective on the ads and whether I think they're funny, whether I think they work as art, and whether I think they work as commerce, if they convince me to be interested in the product or not. So the title of the uh, column should be Seth's Perspective from the Couch. That's exactly It's yeah. Seth throwing spitballs at the ad guys. Yeah. 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 And we were, oh, we were that's talking, a great title. I love that. You know, we were talking off the air about your girlfriend, and so if you don't get your work done because you're on your couch with Rebecca, is there any? Is that an excuse that you've ever used? Uh, you know, I never have used that excuse. She's, she's, you know, perhaps you know one of my great contributors. She, if she gets, if, they, if we're watching television and there's an ad on, and she says, "Whoa, you know, what's with that? That's crazy, or that's stupid, or I love that," then I, you know, instantly I know I should figure out if people are interested in that ad. She's sort of my, uh, hmm. you know, initial sounding board on that ad is. Yeah. She's you your uh, touch with middle with uh, with uh, Joe Six America, America Mrs. Right. Joe Six. Actually, she's more my like touch with you know highly intelligent uppity urban America, but but close enough. Yeah, that works. So so what do you think of Bob Garfield? Uh, you know, it sounds like you're trying to take over his job. Uh, you know, I don't really know. I have I've gone on his his show on the media before and, and talked to him. He seemed like a nice guy, and uh, I, I. Well, I, that was I, your first mistake, pal. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that's fine. No, I'm joking. Have I stepped in a minefield here? No, no not really. No. But Bob's Bob was born angry, and then he got worse. Yeah. Well, living I mean, in New York, forward. he got a little bit angry. Yeah, he sure. Yeah, did. yeah. He's no, upset Bob at is somebody. A great guy. Bob is. Bob We're not is sure he's up who show. he's upset at. We think it's a it's a money thing, and Rance Crane has something to do with it. But uh, <laughs> well, well, he has some he has some sort of actual background in in. The industry doesn't he? That so he's far more qualified than me to do what he's doing. He used to well, sell papers as a boy. Okay, yeah. So that's he was it. in the media when he was young yeah. by way of being that's a paper it. boy. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think he's a journalist uh, by trade, and and like you, and that's not to say that a journalist can't uh, be well informed about advertising and marketing. Or any certainly, subject for that matter. yeah. yeah well, Stuart, you know, Stuart does a great job with the Times, and and Bob does a great job with Ad Age, and. Uh, and uh, the jury's still out whether you do a good job, Seth, but we hear rumors that you do a good job. Yeah, we'll ask uh, Bob. Don't believe yeah. what you hear. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's true. Bob. 
Hey, you know, real quickly, uh, report card uh, reported on Brazil and Germany face-off in the 2002 World Cup final, and it was not simply an important soccer match, but it was uh, an epic clash of logos. You know what I'm speaking of there, Seth? Yeah, I do. I was talking about there's a, there's a new Nike uh, soccer campaign with Ronaldinho, and I was I was referring back to the 2002 World Cup, which a lot of people just saw that as a you know ooh great World Cup match between Germany and Brazil. But you know for for Nike and Adidas, that was all about a World Cup match between Nike, which sponsors Brazil, and Adidas, which sponsors the German team. In fact, the German team is so closely linked with Adidas because that's the you know their headquarters are there. So and you know and, like I said that you know when Brazil won that match, sure people celebrated. In Brazil, but I think they celebrated just as much in Beaverton, Oregon. That was a huge coup for Nike because they're uh, soccer is sort of this lone holdout category where Adidas is still topping them. And you can see with their new ads with Ronaldinho, Nike's making a huge push this World Cup to start making inroads in soccer. And next is curling. Yeah, <laughs> something I don't to be know said. How much of a market there is for mm, curling? Nah, here. I don't think so. No, no. Well, Ray does that, but it has to do with going to beauty shop. But, uh, yeah, uh, no, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, it's a great example, you know, of picking a category and dominating it, which is what uh, Adidas has chosen to do there, and it's a smart strategy, especially when competing with a giant like Nike. Uh, what do we have, Ray, left a minute or two here? Just about a minute here, so we have yeah. well, I'll save the I'll nah, save nah, nah. the hard question uh, for uh, later. Smoking gun, uh, do you consider that the granddaddy of citizen media uh, in uh, 15 seconds or less, Seth? Uh, I, I love smoking gun. It's great. I love looking at the contract writers for bands. You know, Slate has just started a new document column by Tim Noah called Hot Documents, so that's actually where my interest lies right now. Okay, that Hot was a good 15 seconds. Very good. Yeah. You'd be good on Clear Channel. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, more with Seth Stevenson coming up uh, here momentarily on the advertising show. Also have uh, uh, that story about uh, New Orleans. Uh, looking at a new ad agency, maybe? Well, could be a good idea. Anyway, Seth is a contributing writer at Slate where he writes uh, the ad report card, and uh, we'll talk more with Seth here in just a moment on The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth. For the wacky world of marketing. Wacky world of marketing. Here's your host, Bruce Abbott. Our wacky update heads to Louisiana, where they could definitely use a marketing campaign. Well, at least for some. Despite the wall-to-wall coverage of the damage from Hurricane Katrina, AP reports nearly one-third of young Americans recently polled couldn't locate Louisiana on a map. And nearly half were unable to identify Mississippi. Americans between the ages of 18 and 24 fared even worse with foreign locations. Six in ten couldn't find Iraq, according to a Roper poll conducted for National Geographic. Geographic illiteracy impacts our economic well-being, our relationships with other nations, and the environment. Plus, it isolates us from the world, the National Geographic president said, in announcing a program to help remedy the problem. It's hoping to enlist businesses, nonprofit groups, and educators in a bid to improve geographic literacy. Planned is a five-year multimedia campaign called My Wonderful World, targeting children 8 to 17. And that, my friends, is the wacky world of marketing. This program was written and produced by Bruce Abbott, executive producer of The Advertising Show. Join us next time when we uncover the strange, the bizarre, and unfortunately, the true wacky world of marketing. 
make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show. See the USA in your Chevrolet. America is asking you to call. Drive your Chevrolet through the USA. America's this is the Advertising Show. Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, our special guest out of uh, Washington, D.C. this weekend at, at Becky's house. Seth Stevenson is a contributing writer at Slate Magazine, where he writes uh, the ad report card and does a whole bunch more great stuff, too. Seth, it sure is a pleasure to have you on the Advertising Show. Welcome back. Thanks. Great to be here. Is it true last uh, Monday, earlier this week, you went in search of uh, going out to a Mexican, uh, well, your favorite Mexican restaurant? In Washington, D.C.? Well, anywhere. Oh, okay. Don't you remember? They were all Oh, close. yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. Let's move on. Uh, you know, we, we closed last uh, segment talking about Smoking Gun, and uh, I wonder how many people, Seth, realize that SmokingGun.com is owned by Court TV? I think not a lot of people. It's got a pretty indie vibe to it, and I think... Most Americans don't bother to look at, uh, you know, what the corporate parentage is of any of their favorite brands or, or favorite products. Maybe uh, they should. <laughs> Do you think it makes, yeah. the, it makes uh, you know, Smoking Gun just another traditional media company being owned by Court TV? No, I don't. I mean, it's all in the people, and, uh, you know, I'm sure you could have them on. They tell you whether or not Core TV is unduly influencing their editorial decisions or not. But, uh, you know, I, I think you can do – look, uh, Slate uh, used to be owned by Microsoft, and people would complain all the time about that and whether yeah. our coverage was fair or not. Now Slate is owned by the Washington Post, so that's just, you know, a whole new set of things to worry about. Uh, as long – you know, it's, it's up to the people who are actually working there, and uh, unless you're hearing them sort of – Journalists are, are, are pretty concerned about impressions like that, and I think people will generally let you know if they feel they're being unduly influenced by the corporate parent. Yeah, they'll yeah. put them out of business, basically. Well, and I guess, I guess without knowing that they're corporately owned, you'd hard, be hard-pressed to know if they're corporately influenced, but, yeah, you, you make a point. Uh, you know, I want to get your take on this. When advertisers go over the top and, and really, you know, try to reach out and grab the attention of today's consumer, trying to, you know, overcome what, what's considered a bit of a less-than-interested consumer when it comes to exposing yourself to uh, various commercial content out there. I'm, I'm curious, do you think that uh, sometimes an advertiser just goes too far on wanting to grab the consumer's attention and irritate the hell out of them and forget about delivering the message? Uh, I do think that's quite possible. My my personal pet peeve in this realm is uh, is the, the Burger King King mascot, who is a huge attention grabber. But I, for the life of me, I can't understand how he can scares the crap out of me. To mainstream America, he's he's creepy. He's terrifying. Yeah, he, he's he is creepy. It's like yeah. what the heck is that thing? <laughs> you and Ray uh, yeah. are in in line on that. No, uh, I understand. Ray, I understand why he would appeal to to a young target, to teenage boys, and 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 you know maybe eighteen to twenty five. But uh, as far as being a, a major fast food chain appealing to all of America and all different age ranges and sexes, I I can't see how he does that. <laughs> yeah, and I would think that, you know, I don't I don't know the stats on it, but I would think that uh, a larger than uh, equal percentage demographically across the board of all of all uh, well, demographic sectors that, that yeah, that yeah. there's a, that the young people are uh, a large portion of the uh, of their uh, of their market, and therefore yeah, that's maybe the target that's... for the fast food businesses. But yeah. but you don't see McDonald's going after the, that no. sort of young target demographic at the expense, you know, it, while at the same time completely alienating right. the other targets. So. Yeah, I, I uh, Ray and I looked up a uh, 
one of those uh, uh, internet connections where you, I mean, one of those uh, websites where you can look up who the uh, child molesters are, and we saw him. So we think that he lives in our neighborhood, but no, we're not he, really sure. He looks like one of those puppets, the the, uh, the ventriloquist type puppets, that kind of scary stuff that you'd see in a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, good but job, you know, guys. Let, let's go back to to your. Uh, uh, well, I guess some of your criticism that you write about, not just in the ad report card, but some of your columns. You know, not, not so long ago, we had David Jones, global CEO of Euro RSCG Worldwide, on the show. As I recall, Ray, he was uh, at that time, uh, I think, talking to us from Paris. He was uh, asleep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, he's still trying to pay for that uh, LD that he placed from Paris to us. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we've certainly talked a lot about uh, a lot of things going on at RSCG in addition to the gorgeous campaign for Jaguar that they created. And I understand, Seth, that you've been very critical of this campaign. And, you know, we're not going to talk to David about what you had to say about that, but we did talk about the rebanding effort uh, on behalf of uh, Jaguar that they created, positioning against Tiffany and Louis Vuitton. Uh, share with us your thoughts on the strategy and why you think it's maybe what weak. Well, you know, at the risk of sounding like I'm negative on everything, I, I also just hated this Jaguar gorgeous ad when it came out. I, I just found it so offensive. Again, I'm not the, I'm not the target for a seventy-five thousand dollars sports car, uh, admittedly, but I just found it uh, so irritating. You know. The ad was just such a, it was such a sort of triumphant return to stereotypes and cliches where you're marketing to sort of the, the old horny dude by showing him these beautiful young skinny women, uh, you know, completely enthralled by the wilds of the Jaguar. Uh, I, I mean, it just, it seemed so Neanderthal. It, I couldn't believe it, that they were going just for the throat like that in such an obvious manner. And so I actually just, I wrote a screed about how much I hated that ad. Horny old yep. dudes. He was talking about you, I guess. I don't know. You know, uh, apparently, we, this just in, we, we've uh, learned that whatsethshates.com is a new uh, a new column that he's going to be doing. That's no, he be likes a, the Volkswagen a, stuff. That's good stuff. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, you're, you're skewing. I like plenty of ads, too. Is <laughs> well, I know. Hey, you know, talking about what you like is not very exciting on the radio, but, uh, you know, we like it. It's very much fun. Yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. And, you know, is it time now to admit to the fact that you just bought a new Jaguar, Ray? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, it's a real nice one, too, but that's, that's fine. And who's in the back seat? I have, no, I have no beef with the automobile itself, simply the marketing. Yeah. Gotcha. Or the product from the marketing. Okay. Well, I asked Ray why he bought it, and he said it was the ads. Because I was a horny old man. <laughs> exactly. We have uh, more with Seth Stevenson out of Washington, D.C., and uh, uh, he's a contributing writer at Slate Magazine. And we'll uh, be back with more in just a minute on the advertising show. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is the Advertising Show. Good morning. Are you not my daisy? Right, Mother Nature. They're Chiffon's new daisy servers. Taste. Oh, it's my sweet cream, Mother Nature, mother. a celebrity endorser here on the Advertising Show with mm-hmm. Rachel and Brad Forsyth. <laughs> we bring Seth back uh, next hour for a couple more segments there. And uh, good talking to Seth. I like that. It's kind of a fresh approach to uh, to advertising and marketing. You know, lighter kind of, side. The lighter, the lighter yeah, side. It's, it's more of an extra virgin olive oil type side, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Uh, celebrity Canola endorsements. Oil. Canola oil. Exactly. That's good stuff. Uh, Ty Pennington. Uh, we all know Ty from, oh gosh, the original Rodeo. show. What? 
no, rodeo. No, no? Not, not that Ty. Ty Pennington was on the original uh, Trading Spaces, and then he became the extreme oh, yeah. makeover home edition. Huge. Right. Uh, well, you're a person. big fan of that, Ray. Used to be. I don't watch it as much. Um, yeah. it, it's kind of overdone, don't you think? Well, it's overdone in the fact that it, it reminds me of when we were kids, a program called Queen for a Day. Is In other words, who can ever tell your story the most pitifully? Well, then you get that. Queen for a Day was replaced by Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Exactly. That was a different type of a queen back in the 50s, you see. Anyway, yes. uh, Pennington is the most recognized name in Hollywood, and he also carries the most clout on Madison Avenue, and that's important. Uh, mm-hmm. He uh, sells his own line of uh, housewares at Sears, uh, is best at getting consumers to pull out the credit card, a new study says. I believe that. Uh, but Olympic uh, medalist Summer Sanders... Uh, actor James Earl Jones, uh, Emeril Lagasse, Desperate Housewives hottie James Denton, and also are scoring high when it comes to positive purchase impact, according to research from the uh, the NPD group. It's a research firm. The mm-hmm. study has scored 87 celebrities and sports figures who have appeared in an ad in the last year focused on overall awareness and whether a celebrity left a positive impression in consumers' minds. So isn't that interesting? Well, but we were talking about, uh, yeah, we're always talking about celebrity endorsements and whether they're effective or not, and at least they're doing some studies as to what the consumer thinks as far as just the image of the person, I, I guess, themselves, huh, Ray? Yeah, exactly. And this study is saying the results suggest there's a big difference uh, between the person remembering remembering a person and then buying something from them, obviously. I mean, because mm-hmm. so, so many times you see people out there grabbing a personality just because they want to get close and say, well, you know, uh, Bobby does my spots for me. He <laughs> is my buddy. But, uh, but he doesn't fit the brand. This is, I'm going to finish this real quick. Sexpot Anna Nicole Smith, who recently won a big uh, settlement, so she doesn't mm-hmm. have to do any more ads. Oh, she won. I didn't know that. She won, yes. Hotel heiress Paris Hilton, Pop-Tart Britney Spears, supermodel Kate Moss. Wouldn't it be awful to be called a Pop-Tart? Mm-hmm. And uh, real estate mogul Donald Trump were all examples of celebs whose association made it Less likely a person would buy a product, according to the study. So the Trump, yeah. the Donald is, is not doing it. But here, uh, going back to Tiger Woods and everything, uh, who walks, who, who pretty much sells everything, he was the most recognized pitch man in the study and also ranked high in terms of his positive impact on a brand. But that argument, I'll still fight my side. Uh, yeah. The fact that, you know, the, regarding Buick and such. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, the Donald and, of course, you, and the apprentice. You can't think of now the apprentice without thinking of Donald Trump or vice versa. But, right. you know, uh, apparently the show's uh, showing signs of exhaustion here lately. And uh, Ad Age last week did a great uh, feature, as I recall, front page feature on uh, on uh, the apprentice and apparently the ratings and ad dollars are on the decline at uh, nbc and uh, i guess mark burnett's franchise and you know the guys had a good run and uh, i say the guy meaning burnett and uh, yeah. certainly donald he didn't need any more publicity but he certainly was uh, feeding off of the uh, stardom that was created for his uh, tv series but you know i'm going to go back to something i was going to mention if you're ever near uh, i say ever if you're near new york times square in the next I don't know, a couple months. You got to check out Nationwide, which is uh, they got a, a billboard there, an interactive Nationwide, billboard. Nationwide, the insurance company. Yeah, yeah, it's the latest brand to speak to consumers through an interactive uh, interactive billboard. 
located in New York's Times Square. The uh, promotion is part of a nationwide Life Comes at You Fast campaign. To participate, this is cool, to participate, users submit their stories online for review. More than 2,000 consumer moments will be broadcast on the billboard. The site features a live webcam on the, uh, live webcam on the board. Uh, and the and the tools for sending the finished product to friends and family. So, you know, it's a good driver to get people to go online, and then once you go online, uh, you could end up once creating this uh, little this little uh, vignette uh, that you would submit, you end up potentially being on the billboard in Times Square. Pretty cool idea, I think. I think it's great. Yeah. Have, you, have you ever done that? Or uh, I have not gone online to check that out. I, it was a news item that I saw. Uh, I don't remember where I saw it here. I don't see here. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. It was uh, from uh, Media, Day- Daily, uh, Media Daily News, uh, their Out to Launch uh, section, which is always an interesting section. Very good. We've got more with the advertising show, and we'll bring Seth back next hour for a couple of segments. Here with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. In just a moment, though, our advertising showcase. We'll find out what uh, is featured uh, this week with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the advertising show. Simplifying the complex world of advertising. To reach Ray and Brad with your questions, log on to theadvertisingshow.com. This is The Advertising Show. Hello, amigo. She's Chiquita Banana, and she loves to say. On The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth. Seth is coming back uh, to be with us next hour. We also have Patrick Meyer on the way next hour, uh, talking about careers in marketing. Uh, Jeffrey Ginnimer, um, it's called Company Benchmarks. It's something that, uh, well, the little things that add up to the brand of your company. So it's some good stuff there from Ginnimer. And uh, we've got uh, Andy Borowitz as well talking about FEMA because he can. But right now, we look at the upside of advertising. And now it's time for the Advertising Show's Advertising Showcase, an outstanding example of on-target advertising. For the good stuff, here's Ray and Brad. And unlike Seth, who has more bad than good, you see, at this particular point, of course, we don't know that. We don't know what average averages, though. But uh, this week, it's looking at the good stuff. It's designed to give you an opportunity to maybe look at your own advertising and marketing and say, hey, you know, I could be doing that instead of what I'm doing, so what do you got? Well, you know, last segment we talked about uh, Times Square and the interactive uh, billboard by Nationwide. We're going to stay with outdoor. It's not often that we feature outdoor here in the advertising showcase. But, uh, you know, i got to tell you, uh, Ray, you saw this uh, a few weeks ago when I when I shared it with you. This this billboard from Quit Plan, quitplan.com, yeah. which is a uh, company that basically helps people quit smoking. If you could envision a billboard, and it's basically uh, – Quitplan.com is written on the board, and it's it's a green background with uh, a black type, and it's all in lowercase, quitplan.com. And the monopole, that being the pole that comes down from the actual structure of the board down to the ground, is a cigarette, a filtered cigarette that is encapsulated uh, around the monopole, and and so you see the brown filter uh, going towards the top of the billboard and then the white scrunched cigarette. And at the very bottom 
of the of the uh, where the uh, ground would be is one of those black ashtrays that you would find in a bar. Mm-hmm. So it basically looks like a cigarette butt is being put out in an ashtray, and that's functioning as the monopole itself. And then above that, it says quitplan.com. And, you, I mean, it ties, I mean, graphically, you know that when it says quitplan.com, it's not talking about quitting, uh, you alcohol. know, picking your nose or eating or, yeah, alcohol or whatever. It's, it's about cigarettes because it's got the cigarette butt, uh, <laughs> that goes directly mm-hmm. down to the ashtray. And I gotta tell you, not only is it a, a great idea by uh, a company that, uh, uh, obviously hired an agency that had an outstanding idea there. I'm going to give credit to the agency in a second. But in addition to that, this this billboard uh, is on a road uh, north of the Twin Cities, uh, that being, of course, Minneapolis-St. Paul. But uh, in particular, this particular freeway, uh, the idea here, the strategy, is that anyone driving this freeway is either going to or from one of their cabins or a casino where you find a lot of smokers. Sure. And the idea here is to get that message in front of people driving the freeway to uh, uh, outdoor events or casinos or whatever. And the uh, agency, Clarity Coverdale Furry, Minneapolis, uh, CD Jack, uh, Jack, J-A-C, Jack Coverdale, as well as the uh, copywriter, uh, Michael Atkinson, and the uh, AD, Jim Landry. I think they did an outstanding job with this. Uh, and then I visited their website. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you always got to check their site to make sure that if they're going to promote a website, if they're doing a good job. And I think it's a, a decent decent the site they have. As well. Yeah, it does work. And they've got uh, a community that, they, that you can log on to and... Uh, uh, communicate with people just like you that are wanting to uh, trying to quit smoking and it becomes kind of a support community and you know they've got uh, learn from our science-based smoking cessation uh, resources uh, get quitting tips uh, and advice from expert counselors get support from the quitnet uh, community and create your own quit smoking plan hmm. so it's a, it's a great billboard backed up with a great website and an outstanding outdoor idea and i just don't think you see enough outstanding outdoor ideas uh out there today so that's uh, congratulations from uh, quitplan.com and the ad agency mentioned one more time clarity coverdale furry f-u-r-y fury or furry fury <laughs> minneapolis yeah <laughs> furry that'd be two r's fury yes or maybe the guy has a lot of back hair you know or maybe he drove a ford fury yeah oh i remember yeah. those no yeah. that was a plymouth Oh, it was? Oh, no. Maybe, maybe you're right. Plymouth I don't Fury. know. Maybe Who it knows? is a Plymouth Fury. That sounds right, Ray. Okay. Plymouth Fury. Yeah. Anyway, so you know, outdoor advertising, board. you mentioned that most of those, uh, there, there's not a lot of good outdoor advertising. There's not a lot of good of, uh, outdoor advertising now. I and agree. It's mostly because the client takes your idea and throws it away. <laughs> and they say, no, we'd really just rather put our whole in a story up there. You know, I, I like to do the whole thing. And I want my picture up there, too. And my yeah. dog. i got to get my dog on the billboard <laughs> uh, because, you know, uh, he, he's cute, too. But You know, Ray, the pro- you run into this yourself in your, in your business. Uh, creating uh, messages for for, uh, broadcast. But what happens, and you know this, Ray, advertisers get into the misconception that 
consumers actually are interested in what they want to tell them within their ad right. format, That's whether wrong. it's a radio spot, a billboard, a print ad, or whatever. Yeah. And so as a result, they sit there, as you just said, and they cram it all in there as if people are really interested in knowing more about whatever it is they're wanting to mm-hmm. uh, sell or, or communicate to the consumer. And so the advertiser sits with that billboard or they sit with that radio script and they hear that spot over and over and over and before it goes on the radio or they stare at that billboard before it goes up on the freeway so that when they see it or hear it in its natural environment, they hear it and see it more clearly than the normal consumer does. And they think that the message is as clear as day because they were part of the process and saw it uh, along the way. So that's a, a big mistake that many advertisers make. And there's another one, too, uh, that uh, most advertisers who try outdoor is they they create the ad and then they look at it right in front of them. And yeah. they say, oh, that's going to work good. Well, try try walking across the room with the ad and then see what you can read. Right. Uh, and so many people don't do that as well. But the Outdoor Advertising um, Association of America uh, has some really cool guidelines on how to mm-hmm. do it right. All you have to do is yep. listen to them. How about that? Because right. we know that outdoor advertising is good stuff as well. So, yep. uh, Sirius, $225 million in the hole. Actually, a net loss of 458 because of Howard Stern, and we'll tell you about that uh, next hour. Also have more with uh, Seth Stevenson coming back with uh, Slate Magazine. That's a lot of S's. And uh, Patrick Meyer as well. Andy Borowitz, too, with uh, Rachel and Brad Forsyth. Advertising show brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adage.com. Back next hour. Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. It's hour number two of The Advertising Show being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. You can visit online at adage.com. Advertising shows a big radio midgets production. Hope you visit us online. Lots. There's a lot of great stuff there as well, including the archive of past shows here at theadvertisingshow.com. We uh, continue our conversation out of Washington, D.C. this weekend with Seth Stevenson, who is a contributing writer at Slate Magazine, where he writes the ad report card column on advertising, as well as uh, features on travel, sports, pop culture, and other subjects. It's whatever he likes to write about. So... That's a good thing. Also this hour, in just a few minutes, uh, back with Patrick Meyer and the Marketing Insider and Andy Morowitz on the way yeah. to Andy. <coughs> Excuse Seth me. Is, Seth is the lighter side of it. Kind of like uh, Bud Light and Miller Light. It's this would be Seth Light. That's Seth, Seth Light. There we yeah. go. The couch potato set. The lighter side of advertising. Talked about uh, Howard Stern and Sirius Satellite Radio. You know, you would wonder, uh, the, the headline of this uh, Yahoo news piece is Sirius reports first quarter losses of $458.5 million. But you know what? Business is good. <laughs> How about that? Wouldn't we like to be in that kind of a business? Yeah. Uh, Sirius reported this past Tuesday that its first quarter lost more than double, due largely to expenses of $225 million in stock-based compensation to its star shock jock Howard Stern. Revenue nearly tripled as the company expanded its subscriber base. So you got revenues way up. What is he going to do that he needs the $225 million up front? Come on. Sirius I didn't know it was up front. Well, it's apparently, I guess, it's 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 there. 
Uh, Sirius reporting a net loss of 4.58 or 33 cents a share for January through March, compared with a loss of uh, 15 cents a share a year ago. Whoops. Um, does it say how many subscribers they have, Ray? We talked about this last week, and I gave an estimate, and well, I want to see if I'm here. right. On earnings, analyst, uh, 41%. Revenues, serious. Okay, here we go. Sirius said it had 4.1 million at the end of the first quarter, having added about 761,000 customers in the most recent period. The company says it now expects to have 6.2 million subscribers by the end of the year. That's uh, that's yeah. a pretty hefty increase. But here is the interesting thing: Sirius and its larger rival XM are spending heavily to sign up subscribers and programming uh, talent to their services, which require special radio receivers at a cost of about 13 bucks a month. I would imagine. No, that's the uh, the digital, the high def uh, receivers, yeah. which I really don't quite get. Um, I, I'm not sure. That's like the quadraphonic records of the 1970s. On the conference call, a series of CEO Mel Carmazin said the company did not intend to follow the lead of XM in syndicating some of its programming to terrestrial radio. CBS uh, unit of uh, CBS Corp, CBS Radio, that is, announced it was replacing, and you heard about this, David Lee Roth and uh, yeah. Howard Stern's former time slot and several of its stations with uh, Greg Opie. Uh, Opie and Anthony, uh, now mm-hmm. working for XM. CBS had fired them in 2002. <laughs> After they have the aired a very strange thing. Exactly. So it was a great deal for Opie and Anthony. I guess so. They got their job back, and they're getting a bucks. of bucks. But they were on XM XM before, and now they're back on the radio. They were on CBS before. Oh, no, I knew that. But but they were in between. Yeah, okay. So how do you get out of your XM contract to go back on CBS? I don't know. You have a good lawyer. I guess. You know, uh, and last week I I mentioned... uh, that uh, it was single-digit subscribers, closer to 1 than 10 million uh, on Sirius, and you said it was 4-point-whatever million total at the end of first quarter of 06. Now, I think uh, Stern had something like 14 or 20 million listeners that were uh, his followers on his syndicated TV program, radio program. So how in the world? He he hasn't delivered but a fraction of his uh, listeners to Sirius Satellite. The question is, Ray... Where are these listeners? Where did they go? Don't know. They Don't certainly know. didn't go to Roth and the other guy out in uh, Corolla, no, out in that, California. No. They're not listening to NPR. It's one. Well, they're day. probably iPoding or uh, you know CDs or maybe another program. But usually, if you're on the radio, as far as your listening habits, if you're yeah. listening on the radio, you would stay with some other variation of the radio. But certainly, there's not a B version of Howard. Mm, no, and there shouldn't be as well. Right. It's like uh, doing a follow-up to uh, who knows the Beatles or Ed Sullivan or something. Let's let's right. check in with Patrick Meyer here on the advertising show welcome to understanding the future now it's the marketing insider featuring patrick meyer i was recently talking on a panel and a member of the audience asked me this question if marketing and advertising are moving so quick and things are falling by the wayside and new technologies and new innovations are coming where do you think a career in marketing and advertising should be now i said i think that advertising and marketing as we know it from the 80s and 90s is dead although most people Many on Madison Avenue have no clue. And yet, Marketing 2010 is alive and well. There are so many new places to go and to thrive. So my message to the audience was simple. I said it's about reinventing yourself and reconnecting yourself to the front edge of marketing. If you're really passionate and you really want to grow and succeed, I said you need to identify where are you, what are your skill sets, and how can you get to what's breaking. Then I listed a couple areas. 
First, I said, if I was a creative, I would try and get to what I call Content Express. I would want to be where fresh, topical content is being created and being pumped out in new forms. If I was a client in marketing or in brand management, I would get my stripes quick, learn the fundamentals, and then get myself to those places where it's breaking wide open and be there as it cracks wide open. And there are other areas that may offer potential. Experiential marketing, new ways to connect to consumers in their world. And lastly, creating new agencies or new companies, new boutiques, a handful of people going off and creating a whole new model. Because that's what marketers want. They want solutions and ideas. They don't want big infrastructure. So it's a simple thought. Reinvent yourself, reconnect yourself with where marketing is going. 2010 is not far off. You've been listening to The Marketing Insider, heard every week here on The Advertising Show. Join us next week for more insight into the future of marketing. I'm Patrick Meyer, and remember, the marketing revolution is now. That's some good stuff there. Good advice always every week from uh, Patrick Meyer with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on The Advertising Show. Seth no, he's getting Stevenson. Good at that. No, he is good at that. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah. Uh, Seth Sorry Stevenson, contributing writer, Slate Magazine, will be back with us. He has a column called The Ad Report Card, also written for Rolling Stone and New York Magazine, The New York Times. Uh, and many other publications, including his high school newspaper, I'm sure. Right. Hey, hey, Ray. <laughs> when let me he mention, and Rebecca were sweethearts. That's true. Let me uh, uh, enough of Rebecca. Uh, let me mention also, if you like Patrick Meyer and you like him, uh, follow him on the radio show here, the advertising show. You got to check out Zanga Z X A N G A X A N G A dot com. Go to that website. And check out Patrick Meyer's new uh, uh, web blog that he he has right there on that website. In fact, you know, if you just go to xanga.com and, and put in Patrick Meyer, I'm sure you'll find his uh, blog. And, uh, you know, if you like what you hear on the show, uh, it's more of that uh, there on uh, Zanga.com. Zanga. And there's one mistake. Probably should have spelled it with a Z, Patrick, but that's okay. <laughs> well, okay? actually, it's one of those places where there are a bunch of bloggers, and that's and that's uh, a company that probably is kind of a home base for for blogging. Mm-hmm. So, so Patrick just you know he just hooked on to Zanga, X A N G A. But of course, every time you say Zanga on the radio, they get to you know you have to spell it so they get double plugs. That's right. Yeah, I love those creative names. Basically, <laughs> yeah, I know how to spell Google. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to worry about that. We have more uh, on the advertising show. As we said, Seth is back with us for a couple more segments this hour. A little bit later on this hour, Morowitz will be with us, too. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Last night, Billy didn't skate once with me, but this should get us together. $40. Great. Now, how about close-up? Well, that's toothpaste. Maybe I'll get pom-poms in my roller this is the advertising show, as promised. Uh, we have Seth Stevenson back. Seth has enough on his phone card that he's still able to stay on the phone with us uh, from Washington, D.C. this hour, too. I think that's wonderful. With Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the advertising show. Seth, welcome back. Glad to have you here. Yeah, Seth, uh, curious. Just pick it up from where we were last hour. I'm curious. Does Seth Stevenson, advertising columnist for the Slate magazine, really identify more with the world of publishing and journalism or... Could it possibly be a greater identification with the ad community? What's going on in your head? I identify with the guy on his couch. That's me. I identify with the guy (laughs) watching TV, 
uh, drinking a beer, looking at the ads and going, what are they thinking? What are they going to do next? That's the guy I identify with when I'm writing my advertising column. I certainly do not identify with advertising professionals because I don't know how to make ads and I don't pretend to know anything about the ins and outs of the industry. It probably uh, gives you a better perspective on the whole thing. <laughs> well, that's my hope, yeah. at least a, a different perspective anyway. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the perspective that uh, you know ad industry professionals might want to take into consideration, but uh, yes, a different perspective. Yeah, so so if do you not read in the ad business? Get in the ad business, okay? Right away. Yeah. Do, do you do you read trade publications and try to bone up a bit on the uh, on the on the jargon and the lingo that kind of thing? I scan them to see what's going on and catch some of the major trends to help inform my watching a little bit. But I, I don't. I, I can't keep track of, of who the stars are and who you know which agency is. Uh, you know, has this kind of reputation, which agency has that kind of reputation. I, and that's not what the regular viewer has in mind when they're watching the ads. And it, it has no effect, you know, because so-and-so made this ad, uh, it has no effect on how the viewer is going to perceive the ad. So it's not really relevant to the kind of stuff I'm writing. Okay, quick quiz. Uh, uh, CPM? No, no idea. Okay, ROI? Return on investment. Okay, good. Well, yeah, that, you don't have to be in advertising to know that. BYOB? <laughs> yes, that's bring your own beverages. Yes, okay, good. Beverages. Very good. That's well, when you're on that Two couch. out of the three, right? That's fine. That is good. You're uh, officially in the advertising club now. Congratulations. You know, uh, you're, living in, you're living in D.C., and I assume then the way you just described your, your background and, and kind of your take on the ad business, you're not jumping on the Metro and lunching at Michael's throughout the week. I'm not. I am um, lucky if I put on pants. I work from home. So. Well, that makes three of us. Ray okay, and I are you know, pretty Larry much that way right now. Yeah, you know, uh, curious, has negative reporting, uh, Seth, ever cost the uh, slate, the people at Slate uh, any ad business uh, you know, from you? I don't think they would tell me if it did. Uh, yeah. I think there's enough of a sort of church-state uh, wall between the, the ad people and the editorial side. I think they're very careful about not trying to influence their writers that way. <laughs> it's possible that I have cost uh, that kind of thing, and then, sure. uh, but uh, I, they don't tell me, and I don't think they would tell me. And I think their slate is particularly good about not telling me what to cover or not to cover. I've never had any sort of direction given to me in that way. <laughs> they took that ad campaign out of his paycheck last time. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm curious, uh, Seth, what do you think of uh, digital media, non-traditional media? Is, uh, any, any thoughts on, on where that's, uh, that whole world's going? I think, it's, I think advertising on the web is, is great. I think, it, I think it forces people to do better work because when you make ads for television, you know, if you put an ad in the Super Bowl, you know everyone's going to see it. You know, whether you make it good or not, they're going to they're gonna see it. Whereas if you put something on the web, people have to go search it out a lot of the time. And so there's sort of more inducement to making better content because better content means more people are going to forward it around more people are going to seek it out and, and watch it so i think actually advertising for the web could be a good thing it could drive people to make better ads so do you you say you uh you try to consume uh media in a traditional way and and just uh, observe and and report that uh, i'm curious as you sit and watch uh, some of these tv programs during prime time uh, Product placement, brand entertainment—it's—it's uh, it's, you know all about uh, product and relevancy and how it's integrated to the content of the program. Uh, such a simple idea, but yet we see such difficulty in some product placement uh, companies not being able to make that connection. What are your thoughts on product placement? 
Uh, I think, you know, it can be done well, it can be done horribly, uh, you know, sometimes within the same show. Uh, look at a show like The Loop, which was this uh, fairly successful sitcom on Fox this season. Uh, the, the, the opening credit sequence for that basically looks like an ad for the Scion XB. It's just, it's the main character driving around in his XB around Chicago, and there's shots of the car from every angle, and, and it just, it looks like a car ad. Uh, and, and it's exactly the right demographic. It's, it's the same age of uh, people who would be buying the XB. But then in that same show, they'll, they'll do these other product placements. They did one where Virgin Airlines played a huge role in one of the episodes, and it was so ham-handed that, you know, you, as a viewer, you can't help but resent that they keep shoving the, the words Virgin Airlines down your throat. You know, there, there's an example where I think with the XP, they did a good job. It's just this is what the kid drives, and, and so it shows up all the time. Uh, but with the, some of the other stuff where they're just trying to get the, get the brand name in there again and again, it really turns off the viewer. So it, it could go either way. Well, I'm curious. Do you think that uh, product placement is as effective today as it was, say, five years ago? I mean, do we have a, a, a more sophisticated consumer with a, a, a BS meter a little bit more sensitive? And then with regard to the product placements themselves, are they more uh, a bit, uh, I don't know, a little more subtle and, and therefore a little more effective? Or has the, has the newness worn off and it just isn't as effective as it once was? I think they, they probably have gotten a little more subtle. You, you, you know, I think... You can't do it the same way over and over, and people are always looking for new ways to do it with a little bit more artistry. As far as the consumer is concerned, the consumer is always getting more sophisticated. The consumer is getting more sophisticated by the day, and that's a, that's a one-way direction. The consumer is never going to get any less sophisticated. Uh, so that's just I, that's something you have to consider. Uh, you know, you, you can look at, at consumers. Uh, you know. Uh, I've spent some time in Japan covering uh, consumer trends there, and that's the most sophisticated consumer in the world. Really? And you'll, you, you, you can see American consumers catching up. <laughs> you can see American consumers <laughs> just one or two years behind the Japanese consumer in terms of demanding more options and demanding uh, you know, different kinds of marketing techniques. Um, I, just, I, I feel like that's something that's just it's never going to stop. The consumer's always going to get more savvy and more demanding, and marketers are going to have to deal with that. Yeah, you know, and I, I agree with you 100%, yet we see uh, what I consider lazy marketing when you go search uh, search out for a celebrity endorsement or use a celebrity spokesperson. And I question how many consumers out there are watching a, a celebrity deliver a message and think that uh, that's effective. And I guess we'll have to hold that, Ray, until after the break. There is one guy who does an incredible job, and that's Ty Pennington, and we can talk about that, too, a little bit later on here. Uh, Tiger Woods, we talked about that, Brad, as far as celebrity yeah. endorsements. As well, our special guest, Seth Stevenson, contributing writer at Slate Magazine, writing the Ad Report Card column, and a whole bunch more stuff, too, out of Washington, D.C. We've got Seth for another segment of this hour of the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. I invite you to uh, drop by our website, theadvertisingshow.com. Hope you're there right now. And you're going to find uh, not only uh, today's show, but you'll find many, many, many shows on the uh, theadvertisingshow.com as well as industry news and uh, cool stuff, too. So check it out if you, if you get a chance. And tell your friends, too. That's The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. And uh, let's see. Jeffrey Ginnimer is on the way. Listen to this. This is going to be good. It's called All About Company Benchmarks. Does yours have one? Take a listen. Quick takes on sales and customer relations with Jeffrey Gittimer, nationally syndicated columnist in the network of city business journals and other great publications worldwide. If you're offended by common sense commentary, don't you dare listen. Now, here's Jeffrey. A best practice or a benchmark 
is a response or a practice or a function that by peer consensus has been designated as best when interacting with a customer or a coworker or a function that you do in your job. The function of a benchmark is to create uniform, superior response to situations that occur daily in the workplace or in the sales workplace. The objective of a benchmark is to raise the level of service and performance to its maximum level and to its maximum capability and then maintain that level every day. Is that the best way you can say it? Is that the best way you can do it? Benchmarking best practices can turn into an everyday situation. For example, how you greet people, how you respond to people, how you ask for payment, your voicemail message. It can turn ordinary into wow. When you answer people's telephone calls, why are you giving the name of your company for the 5,000th time that people can't even understand? Why don't you say, listen, it's a great day over here. I hope it's a great day over there. How can I help you the most? If you're taking a message from somebody, why don't you say, would you like me to transfer you to his voicemail since he's on the phone right now? Or would you like me to take a personal message and I'll hand deliver it to his desk? Ooh, that beats rudely transferring someone to voicemail without even telling them they're on the phone. There's also a customer greeting, an initial response to a complaint. Initial response to complaint is great. You say, that's my favorite problem. You got it? Quick takes on sales and customer relations from The Advertising Show, the only radio show in America featuring Jeffrey Gittimer as a regular weekly guest. To learn more about his books, tapes, CDs, and speaking engagements, log on to Gittimer.com, G-I-T-O-M-E-R.com. And tune in next week when we'll hear Jeffrey say, This is Jeffrey Gittimer reminding you that if no one responds to your ad, it may be because your ad sucks. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show. It's a real thing in the back of your mind. What you're hoping to find. This is The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. And uh, for one final segment here, our uh, guest out of Washington, D.C. this weekend is Seth Stevenson, a contributing writer at Slate Magazine, where he writes the uh, ad report card. By the way, if you want to uh, go to Slate.com, that's S-L-A-T-E. Mr. Slate, right? Remember from the Flintstones, Brad? Mm. Anyway, welcome back, and uh, glad to have you here, Seth. Glad to be here, guys. Yeah, uh Back, uh, we set up towards the end of uh, the segment last last hour, the last quarter hour. Um, a little bit about celebrity tie-ins. Uh, what do you think, Seth? Too many celebrity tie-ins today, uh, lately in advertising that you're seeing? I think it depends entirely on the celebrity. Uh, you know, some celebrities will appeal to certain demographics. You can, you can go wrong, but I, I look at... Uh, the new American Express ad with the director Wes Anderson. I think that's a perfect, you know, celebrity for them. I think American Express does a great job in selecting celebrities they use: Kate Winslet, Robert De Niro. Wes Anderson has a quirky sensibility, and he's he's just right for their brand, which is sort of sophisticated. I've, I've never understood how you market for credit cards. It's, I mean, it's a piece of plastic, and all you have to do is look at the rates and, you know, perhaps the awards program, and that, that's about it. And the idea of creating an entire emotional range around that is, mm-hmm. is, is, 
it's bizarre, but uh, but you know, of course, that's marketing. But I think you, Wes you, Anderson is, is perfect for them, and I think the right kind of celebrity matchup with a product like that can 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 work. It can be effective. Well, you, you know, need to listen to the interview that we had a week or so ago with the CMO from uh, Visa uh, on the advertising show, and she has an interesting perspective about life takes Visa. Uh, she's uh, designed that campaign. Good interview. Yeah, Susan Susan Lyons. Uh, she was a great guest and. Uh, you're exactly right, Ray. You know, back to your your point about Amex and 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 that campaign, the director. I couldn't agree with you more. That's uh, that's an outstanding example, I think, of matching the uh, uh, integrating the celebrity spokesperson to what I believe is a, a match with the target for American Express. I think my complaint, Seth, has been, and I know Ray and I talk a lot about this on the radio. There's too many times a celebrity is matched with a product that, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, I think most people are hard pressed to, yeah, hard pressed to believe that they actually use it. You know, we used to say back years ago uh, when we first uh, launched the advertising show, and at that time, uh, uh, Tiger Woods was uh, speaking on behalf of Buick and the and the rendezvous, and we decided that not only uh, <laughs> did uh, Tiger Woods not drive the uh, Buick rendezvous, his his maid and his uh, gardener wouldn't even drive a Buick rendezvous. And if, does what was odd drive about a Buick rendezvous? I think that's the broader question here. What was that? Does anybody drive a Buick rendezvous? Well, I think uh, that the crazy part about that spot, not. if you recall, it showed a Lear jet, cons- uh, presumably a private jet, behind the Buick rendezvous as if somebody that could afford uh, such transportation would pull up to that jet on a, a tarmac Buick with a Buick rendezvous. Yeah. Although, yeah, so, t- you know, Tiger's still doing it, Brad, and, uh, and and they've really changed the look of those cars as well. They're a lot cooler than they used to be. That goes back several years, obviously. Yes, so it does. Maybe there's some connectivity there now. Well, I thought maybe he needs to speak on behalf of the Lear jet maker instead of the car. But in any event, uh, what do you think, uh, Seth? A lot, a lot of uh, mismatch, you think, on uh, celebrity spokesperson and product? Uh, you know, I have, uh, maybe I'm not as aware of it as you are. They, I, I think the, the thing about celebrities for me is they tend to wash over me. Unless it's a celebrity I'm really intrigued by, which, which isn't too many celebrities, then, I, you know, it just kind of washes over me, and I say, oh, you know, there's, a, there's another pitch man, and, and it doesn't really mean anything to me. Yeah. I actually feel like there's about to be, right now we're in this celebrity-obsessed moment, as everybody yeah. knows, with the, with the sort of, like, gossip rags and Paris Hilton and so forth. I think the backlash is just about to hit on that, and we're all about to take a big step away away from celebrity culture. I, I, talking to people, reading things, I just feel like that moment is about to happen, and uh, I wouldn't want to be the marketer who gets stuck with Paris Hilton as my, as my pitch person when that backlash <laughs> happens. You know, I think you, you make the point. Uh, you know, when we see a celebrity speaking on behalf of a product that doesn't resonate, uh, you tend to, as you say, wash right over you. You tend not to retain the uh, connection of the celebrity and the product. And you're, you're also right. There's just so much... Uh, celebrity focus right now. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, when you can turn on your television uh, early fringe uh, before prime time and see four or five different uh, uh, syndicated TV programs all focused on uh, the celebrity, I mean, how, how many different ways do you have to get after what might be marginally true information anyway? We've also twisted our definition of celebrity, where it used to be where you, you accomplished some sort of impressive feat that caused you to be famed. And now you now it's reality TV basically. Now you just like you are instantly famous, and then you go about finding ways to exploit that fame <laughs> or doing right. things that will perhaps back up that fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we sort of had a reversal there. 
You know, the young girl, uh, Pickler, that was uh, on uh, American Idol recently, I mean, when I was that age, I don't know why I couldn't have run into somebody like that, that I could have introduced her to Calamari and a few other things. But uh, she just wasn't around when Ray and I were, you know, 21. Not many were, no, no. You, uh, <laughs> you guys want to go buy a Jaguar? Uh, no, we're actually going to go to South Carolina and check out. Uh, we're going to try to get Ray another wife. Uh, no, no, don't, no don't we're not going to do that. Classic commercials, real quickly, uh, Seth. Classic commercials under a minute, uh, from, from, yeah, just under a minute. Classic commercials. We play a lot here on the advertising show. You've seen some of the old commercials. Uh, some have suggested that uh, we need a return to a more simplistic approach to advertising. You think that's needed today? Uh, I love. Simple commercial. I, one of my favorite commercials of the last, uh, you know, year or two is the is the Nike commercial called Awake, where we have the AC/DC song. We have the superstar athletes working hard in the morning, doing their sit-ups, watching their game film. It's so simple. There's no dialogue. It's just a great song, great footage, incredible editing, and then you know the Nike swoosh at the end. Um, that's it's it's beautiful. It's art. Uh, I love commercials like that. And uh, yes, I, I you know a commercial that gets too cluttered, you just completely lose the message. In it. Film at 11. Seth Stevenson, thanks for being uh, with us here on the Advertising Show at Washington, D.C. Check out Slate Magazine and also check out the Ad Report card. Thanks for being a part of the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Seth. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. News Ajax! Boom, boom. Colgate's new Ajax cleans all bathroom surfaces up to 50% faster. Time we cleaned up our act, too. You know, an Ajax is a good thing to use. A little bit rough on the skin, though. It's Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth, and we say thanks again to Seth Stevenson, advertising columnist for Slate Magazine. Seth is, uh, uh, what is it, Slate.com, S-L-A-T-E.com is the place to go to find out more. Joseph Perello. Joseph Perello is uh, the CMO of New York City. He's the CMO of New York City. You know, there's mm-hmm. no there's no CMO of Akron, Ohio. No. No CNO of Chillicothe or, uh, let's see. Houston. Uh, Paris, Texas. Honolulu. But New York has a CMO, and his name is Joseph Perillo. I wonder if he was uh, elected. Well, if he loses his job... It's not like there's another city looking for one of those guys. Perillo, you know, I always want to hear that name. I think of the uh, travel agency, the, the Italian. Oh, guy, yeah. No, know. that's Palillo. Oh, <laughs> no, no, that's a sports guy. Never mind. I'm totally confused oh, now. Okay. So maybe, anyway. maybe he's a friend of the uh, Perillos. Who knows? Well, apparently he was appointed by uh, Mayor Bloomberg uh, oh. in uh, April of '03, as I recall. And, you know, I got to tell you, it's probably a pretty nice gig. I would imagine so. Yeah. Probably got a nice office there in downtown. You know. Get to go to the Yankees games. Free, yeah. Probably get to go up. Did you, did you see the uh, coverage of the uh, Empire State Building's, whatever, 50th anniversary or whatever? No, I did not see that. Was that I good? think it was more than 50, though. That doesn't make sense. Probably 75. Uh, a little older than that, yeah. Yeah. It used the, to be one of the world's tallest buildings, too, and it's... Uh, Pretty close to uh, Chicago, the, uh, what is the, uh, the Sears Tower as well. Yeah, well, you being into aviation, you'll like this. The uh, pinnacle, the little point at the very top, Yes, it was created for uh, blimps to uh, hook to up to. To moor it, yeah. It was going to be a mooring thing. Yeah, exactly. You I knew this. That. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, that came out uh, when they covered the, and a lot of the uh, news people got to go up to the, ver- that were covering it, 
Uh, if you did a report on it, you got to go up to the very top, and they talked. And, of course, they never had a uh, blimp hook up to it, and people slide off. You know, how would you get it's from, too dangerous. <laughs> it seemed a little dangerous to me, but uh, it was a great idea. I thought that they put that. Uh, you say Hindenburg? Yeah. yeah. I think they put that top part on there to, to become the tallest building in the world, you know, to kind of add to the top and then. Uh, well, as you well know, in building buildings in New York, that's what those guys did. They'd put a little, they'd put a few extra stones up there to beat out the other guy. Yeah, uh, the Chrysler it, Building and so on and so. You know, I'll tell you what blew ones. blew me away as far as this anniversary coverage, and it just uh, it's still phenomenal to me. Again, I, I believe it was seventy five years, but uh, you know how long it took them to build this thing? Not long at all, less than a yeah. year. Uh, well, yeah. just over a year. Over actually. a year, okay. Yeah, but I mean, a year and a month or something like that. I Amazing. think that's just phenomenal. Yeah, today takes a little longer. Of course, well, we're building yeah. them different too, so that. that makes well, on sense. the other hand, you see these TV programs that they build it, you know, in twelve hours. Why can't they build a home in twelve hours? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Give me a week. Yeah, make it two weeks. Okay. Yeah, I'll take one in take two weeks. Take two weeks. Uh, Federal Trade Commission going after media for deceptive commercials. Well, that's never happened before. No. No longer will just weight loss uh, product companies with deceptive television commercials have a lot to answer for. Now the FTC is starting to uh, name names in broadcast and cable outlets that allow the practice to go on. Uh, the FTC uh, chairman, Deborah Platt Majoris, or Majoris put uh, broadcast and cable networks on notice in a speech she gave in New York uh, earlier this week. Many of the deceptive ads, especially the infomercials, tout quick weight loss products and other products that allege to cure diseases, for example, uh, cancer. She cited some of the recent claims, but not the company's. There's a new calorie-busting slimming pill that forces you to lose weight without diet or exercise. Saw that commercial. How I lost 41 pounds in less than two months without dieting. And uh, basically, she says, if the broadcasters don't do a better job, the FTC will go after them as well. So what they're suggesting is if you think you've got somebody advertising, if you're a broadcast person... You better make sure that what they're talking about is true, or you're going to get some of the yeah. yeah you're going to get some of the flack, and I, and I think that's uh, I think that's great. I th- why not take responsibility for some of the stuff you put on the air, as opposed to just going and cashing the check and you saying, "Yeah, oh, that's not my problem." You know? Well, and you, it's too bad because you hear about. Uh you know, the networks review commercial content before they air it, and many yeah. reject commercial content. They have their lawyers look at it. And radio stations for years, uh, the only person that, <laughs> that hears the spot, and not even sometimes this person, is the production assistant that's dubbing uh, the old days of dubbing the spots. Now you don't even dub it. No, you, you just transfer uh, the audio yeah. somewhere. Exactly. All right, it's a digital file, and you don't even have a chance to even turn down the volume so you don't have to listen to well, it. Well, if you're a good, and a good account man- manager or an account executive, you might want to know that up front as well. I mean, you, it's in the best interest of your your employer, so to speak. Yeah. So I, I think that's uh, that's logical. We yeah. have uh, we're actually almost out of time here, believe it or not. Let's wait for the music. Hold on, we're going to wait. Uh, three, there two, okay, there it is. One. We have uh, more of the advertising show, and uh, it's uh, Andy Borowitz with us next with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the advertising show. Decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is the Advertising Show. Back 
That's a great television spot from the 70s for uh, for contact, I think it was. Wasn't it? Uh, the cold remedy? Hmm. Uh, it was something. I forget what. But it was a very great spot. Me- very memorable. Yes. Do you remember the product? But do you remember the commercial? The jinx. What sense does yes. that make? Yeah. Uh, thanks again to Seth. And we're looking forward to uh, Joseph Perillo, CMO of New York City. The Big Joseph. Apple. Yeah. What if, what if you got in there and said, you know, I don't like that Big Apple thing anymore. I think what I want to do is do a big banana. Yeah, that's it instead. So we'll do that. <laughs> so Joseph will be on with us uh, next week. Uh, here's something else that's uh, unusual. Of course, anything that Andy Borowitz does is unusual. Something about FEMA, Iran, and nuclear weapons. So let's listen here. Hi. This is Andy Borowitz for The Advertising Show. And now, here's this week's feature from The Borowitz Report. In what some in the nuclear anti-proliferation movement are already calling a masterstroke, the United States has dispatched the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, to Iran to slow down that nation's development of nuclear weapons, the White House confirmed. With diplomacy yielding few results and military action deemed too risky, sending FEMA to throw a monkey wrench in Iran's nuclear program may have just been the third way that the Bush administration has been seeking, according to White House spokesman Tony Snow. We've been looking for a way to slow the Iranians down, Mr. Snow said, and we all looked at each other and said, nobody slows things down better than FEMA. According to Mr. Snow, FEMA officials began infiltrating Iran's nuclear program early last week and started inundating the Iranians with unnecessary levels of bureaucracy and mind-numbing red tape. The enrichment of uranium, which had been well underway before FEMA's arrival, now requires no fewer than 20 separate departmental approvals and the completion of over 40 hard-to-fill-out forms. Speaking from his presidential residence, the Iranian president said that while he had originally hoped to have uranium enriched by 2007, that projection has now been pushed back until at least 2019. This is Andy Borowitz, and this has been a special edition of the Borowitz Report from The Advertising Show. To read more reports or to receive daily email alerts, log on to borowitzreport.com. This is Andy Borowitz saying, keep it fake, baby. I think he's right on, and I think I'm, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I do, too. So I'm happy for him. That's great. Uh, Andy Borowitz here with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on The Advertising Show. Uh, Joseph Perillo. Joseph Perillo. You know, yeah, next week. Next, next, next week. week. Yeah, we're going to have to ask him. You know, I was reading his bio uh, uh, before we came on the air, and he was formerly, this is kind of a cool thing, as I recall, vice president of business development for the New York Yankees before he started his company, Perillo and Company. Oh, okay. And, uh, before being appointed uh, by Mayor Bloomberg uh, in 2003, being responsible for the promoting of New York City globally. So it'll be interesting to find out how do you promote a city, not domestically, but globally. And, of course, if you had that challenge, what better product than New York City? Because you would think that it wouldn't be that difficult. Like Seth, he sits on the couch and watches TV uh, commercials. And hopefully that's, that's not with he a, decides. Hopefully not with, not with Rebecca. Rebecca and, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but Anderson, it has been – I'm ahead. sorry. Go ahead. Anderson Cooper is a is – a, is a, uh, I like him. He's he's good. He's done a great job with stuff, and apparently he has uh, a re- sixty minutes. No, yeah, he's on sixty minutes, but he's also got a new book, uh, "Dispatches from the Edge." He writes uh, that reporting the horrors of Hurricane Katrina cracked open a levee holding back memories of his brother's uh, 
uh, Carter's uh, 1988 suicide. He's the uh, the child of heiress Gloria Vanderbilt. Yeah. Wonder if he wears her jeans. Cooper and his brother knew a childhood of privilege where artists like Truman Capote, Andy Warhol, were regular guests at their townhouse. Now, how could you possibly have a regular life with those guys around? But what happened to his brother? Uh, committed suicide in 1988. So not but what, is, what does Katrina have to do? Oh, was he from that area, I guess? I don't know. It's just apparently he saw the devastation and probably saw the death. And, 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 and Oh, I see. And, uh, their father, Wyatt, uh, died in 78 when Anderson was 10. Carter was 12. The world, he writes, seemed a very scary place. And after the funeral, Anderson and Carter retreated into separate parts of ourselves. Uh, and I don't think we ever truly reached out to each other again. So there was some sadness there. So anyway, um, interesting stuff. And Anderson Cooper, the book is called Dispatches from the Edge. So check it out. You know, interesting. Comes with Spe- a free pair of jeans. <laughs> speaking, of, at least a coupon to get some. Well, speaking of weather, Ray, at the National Cable and Telecommunications Association trade show recently, and we talked to our. I guess Alex Blumblock about that a few weeks ago about the event in particular. The Weather Channel uh, sponsors the wine and weather event uh, at at that particular uh, trade show, showing how weather can enhance vintage wine. And it was, I thought, a clever idea of how to get uh, how to get uh, people to come to your your booth area there with the interest in wine, mm-hmm. and to talk about how weather can affect wine. And you know, what better way to get bombed with uh, I don't know Jim Cantori. Uh, you know, the guy's always being blown around and uh, beaten by wind and rain when reporting on hurricanes. But, you know, to to get blown away with Jim Cantori and be able to say it that you, you did that uh, inside. Yeah, we, we, we put down a bottle of uh, two-buck chuck. Did you ever hear that, by <laughs> yeah. the way? You did. Yeah. Okay. Fred Franzia. Boy, yeah, he's, well, he's, he's it, a crazy guy is what he is. It's interesting because... Uh, uh, there's a new wine. I say new. It's a fairly new wine out oh, right now. No, well, it's along those lines. It's not that expensive. It's, it's under $10, and it's called Screw uh, Tappa Napa or Screw Napa Tappa, something like that. Is that Screw. as well? No, no. It's just – but any time you can buy a Napa Valley wine for under $10, my recommendation is to buy it. And it's uh, oh, yeah. Screw Top is what it means. It, it's oh, one yeah. of those Screw Tops that you and I have talked about. If you can get past the Screw Top, which I can, I've tried it, and it's a decent wine. Help me. Well, you know, uh, Franzia's wine uh, beat out uh, – gosh, what was it? A $70 bottle of uh, somebody else's beverage from Napa? Uh, and they're still battling the Franzia in a box. Frenzy in a box, yes. They, they, they want to put him in a box, basically. Yeah, that's true. Interesting guy. I love the guy. He does a great uh, job of uh, promoting his stuff and very smart. Loves to engage yeah. people. We should have him on the show. Joseph Perillo is going to be a great guest as well, the chief marketing officer of New York City, and uh, that includes all the boroughs. So we'll have him on next week on the Advertising Show. Hope you can be here. It's the AdvertisingShow.com. Advertising Show is being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine, and you can visit them, and we encourage you to do that too, online at adage.com. With Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, this is a Big Radio Midgets production.